Let's go to God's Word this morning. Go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. Um, I was thinking, I think this is my 14th year being pastor of this church, and how many times can you do the Christmas story? <laughs> Different. <laughs> and so I know some of you, I know some of you, you, go, you got your little Bible, you got it marked, say, uh-huh, he did this last year. This is not the same message, I promise you that. Uh, from last year. But I want us to look at verse number 6 here this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. God's word says this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this verse today, but I do want to look at one word there, and it's probably the word you won't even think about I'm going to look at, but that word for, okay? When you say that word for, it gives, it's given an explanation, okay? An explanation of why this child will be born. And so I want us to go back one chapter Chapter 8, verse 22, okay? And let's start there this morning. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22. Here's what God's Word says. It says, Then they will look to the earth, and behold, now listen to this, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Now, let me give you a little background of what is going on here. Isaiah prophesied seven, over 700 years prior to the birth of the Christ child, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in Bethlehem. And it was during this time that the people of God had forsaken God. As a matter of fact, if you read in chapter 8, previous a little earlier in that chapter God says that my people are, 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 are consulting mediums they're consulting sorcerers they had abandoned God and because they had abandoned God God calls Isaiah we read in chapter 6 to go to his people and proclaim a message of judgment that is to come upon his people. Now, at the time of this writing here in verse 22, we know that the nation of Assyria was encroaching upon Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And notice, God's people were a divided kingdom at this time, okay? And the Assyrians in 722 had crushed Israel in the north in the land of Zebulun and of Tali, those tribes were part of the northern part of Israel near the Sea of Galilee. And God's people in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, they had feared of what the Assyrians were about to do to them. And so they were asking themselves this question, what does our future hold? Will we be taken captive? Will we be destroyed? And if you think about it, when we read this in verse 22 about distress, about darkness, about gloom, about anguish, 
this could basically be written yesterday. Because we live in a time of distress. We live in a time of darkness. We live in a time of gloom and anguish. And in the midst of this circumstance they find themselves in, God gives his people through the prophet Isaiah a word of hope. And this hope would come in the form of a baby that would be born in Bethlehem 700 years later. What would this promised child bring to a people that was in distress, that was in darkness, that was in gloom of anger? What would this child bring? And if you are a parent today, if you can go back to when it was just you and your spouse, you know that that baby changed everything. I always tell couples that are about to give birth before they go into the hospital, now you schedule it. That's just how we are nowadays. I say when you go home this night before you go to the hospital, I want you to just turn everything off and just listen. And enjoy the silence because it's going to change after that. What would this child, Jesus Christ, what would he bring to a people that's living in distress, darkness, and gloom of anguish. Let's continue reading on. There's four things here I want us to see this morning. Verse number one of chapter nine. He says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And so the first thing we see is that word no more. And what I would say is this, the Christ child would bring transformation. He would bring transformation. He would bring a change because Isaiah says the distress, the darkness, the gloom of anguish is not going to last forever. There is going to come a change, and that change is going to be in the form of the Christ child that will be born in Bethlehem. And let me say this, when Jesus Christ was born, everything changed. Everything changed. Even time changed. 1 B.C., before Christ, all of a sudden it changed after the Christ child was born. 
And I want you to realize that what the main thing that was changing here was that people were going to go from hopelessness to hopefulness. And let's kind of parallel that with us this morning, okay? The same baby that was born over 2,000 years ago, guess what? He is still transforming lives today. He is still changing lives today. And let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ steps into your life, nothing stays the same. All things have passed away. Praise God, all things become new. And let me say this, for those of us in Christ Jesus, guess what? Even though we've been changed right now by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, guess what? There's coming a change as well. There's coming another change when we're going to get a new body. We're going to a new land, a new heaven, a new earth. Well, there's going to be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more pain. Jesus would bring transformation. Isaiah brought, brought, brought this up and prophesied about it 700 years before. He said, guess what? Even though you're in a midst of distress, anguish, gloom, guess what? There is a change that is going to take place. And praise be unto God, we're not looking forward to the Messiah coming as a baby. We're looking back on it that he has come. But guess what? He is going to come again. And when he comes, praise be unto God, we in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. And this Christ child brought us transformation. Let's continue on. Verse 2. He says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And so the first thing Isaiah says is this child would bring transformation. The second thing Isaiah says that he will bring is what I would call illumination. Okay, illumination. Because at this time when Isaiah writes, the world was in a grip of terrible spiritual darkness before Christ was born. When you think about darkness, let's just talk about darkness for a second. You ever notice when things are dark, you can't really see the true shape of things in the dark. You can't really see things clearly in the darkness. But this darkness that Isaiah is describing is not a physical darkness. What he is describing is a spiritual darkness that they were living in. And he says this, he, he, go back again to verse 2. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Now, if you go with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, let me, let me read this because we're going to see here that Jesus is going to fulfill this prophecy. The Bible says, now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Notice verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Then we see in verse 14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, Verse 15, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Gen Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness 
saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them the light has shone or dawned. When Jesus went to those lands physically, guess what? The people that were in spiritual darkness, they finally saw the great spiritual light. John says it like this in John 1, 4 and 5. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was, what was it? It was the light of man. Verse 5, the light, Jesus Christ, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Even Jesus said in John 8 and 12, he said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, Darkness, but we'll have the light of life. When Jesus made this statement, he was declaring himself to be the light of the world. Jesus was claiming that he was the exclusive source of spiritual light. Now, you think about this. We live in a society nowadays which says there's no such thing as absolute truth. Okay? I've said it before and I said it again. When I was a kid, I thought by 2020 we'd be flying in cars, but now we don't know what a man or woman is. That shows you how much man has devolved. The smarter we think man is, we realize he's really not that smart at all. And in this world we're living in that is full of spiritual darkness, Jesus Christ is the only source of truth. He is the only source of truth. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I was, I, I, I'm a way. He said, no. He said, I am the way. You can't get to Jesus through Muhammad. You can't get to Jesus through Buddha. There's only one way to the Father through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the only way. He said, I am the only truth. And if you know what real truth is, you don't go looking for it on a college campus. You find what truth is in the Word of God. And there's ever a time that we need to give ourselves specifically to the study of the Word of God, it is today. Because His Word, as Psalms would tell us, it is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. And so what Isaiah says is when Jesus comes, he is going to bring light to a darkened spiritual world. And guess what? Jesus Christ is still bringing light to a dark spiritual world. If you want to find where true light is, true light is found in Jesus Christ. And so he said that when this child comes, not only will he bring transformation, not only will he bring illumination, but let's read the next verse, verse 3, and see the next one he'll bring. He says, you shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness, they will be glad in your presence, 
as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So not only he bring transformation, not only he bring illumination, but the third thing, I'm going to say it like this, is he'll bring exaltation. Okay? He will bring exaltation, jubilation, whatever you want to call it. It's still joy. That's the reason why the angel tells us in Luke 2 and 10, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. See, joy is not just going, joy is not just for an exclusive bunch. It's for God's children. And that's where joy begins. True joy begins at salvation. Why should we have joy when we're saved? Because first and foremost, we are now at peace with God. Do you realize that when someone is lost and they don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says they are enemies of God. They're children of wrath is what Paul would say. Now let me tell you something. You may have some enemies this morning, but one enemy you don't want to have is God. But when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord and Savior, we are now at peace with God. You understand that? If you're, a, if you're saved this morning, God is not against you. He's for you. He's for you. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't discipline us because there's times that God disciplines us, but the reason why he disciplines us is because he is for us. He doesn't discipline us out of hatred toward us. He disciplines us so that it will produce a peaceable fruit of righteousness, the writer of Hebrews would tell us. But do you realize that as a child of God this morning, you are at peace with him. John 5 and 24, Jesus said it like this. He said, truly, truly, I'll say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. Do you realize as a child of God, we have Pass from death to life, we do not come into judgment as far as the great white throne judgment as a child of God. That is a joyful thing that we have because we are at peace with God. See, understand this. All other joy is counterfeit. The only true joy that you can have is in Jesus Christ. See, next where do you do it next, uh, next Sunday night, Christmas Eve, or next Monday morning? If you've got little kids and they got a wish list, when they open that up, what they want to get, there's going to be some excitement there. Right? But see, it's not lasting excitement. How do you know that? Well, do this right here. Take what you got them last year, rewrap it, Put it under a tree 
and see what their face is when they open it up and see if it brings them the same kind of quote-unquote joy. It won't. Because all other joy is counterfeit joy. In other words, it's usually based on circumstances. It's based on how I'm feeling, if everything's going the way I want it to go. But when you are a child of God, God's children should have joy because we are saved and we have eternal life. And if Jesus is the reason for your joy, guess what? You're going to always have joy in your life. See, also, you've got to realize this, that as a child of God, you've got to know how to maintain your joy. Okay? Look what Paul would say in Romans 5, 3 through 5. He says, not only this, but we also exult. There's that word again, rejoice. We have joy in our tribulations. You understand that even as a child of God, when you go through tribulations, you should still have joy. Why? Because he says, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. In other words, listen, you cannot develop perseverance as a Christian unless you go through stuff. You just can't. I know we want everything, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and all that kind of stuff, and I have to discipline ourselves. But it just doesn't work that way. See, if, if I'm going to try to run a 5K in three months, I can't run a 5K reading a book on running. I can read all the books about running, but until I get up off the couch and put the Cheetos back in the cabinet and actually get out and start exercising, I can't develop any endurance in my life. And so, as a child of God, you've got to realize that when you go through tribulation, it's not working against you, it's working for you because it is developing perseverance in your life. And he says, next verse, and perseverance develops proven character. Listen, don't be ashamed of those wrinkles you got. That shows you've been through some stuff. Don't be ashamed of that gray hair or white hair or loose hair you got. That shows you've been through some stuff. He says, and proving character produces hope. And guess what? This hope in us, it will not disappoint us. And so as a child of God, when, the, when this Christ child was born, he brought transformation, he brought illumination, he brought exaltation. And fourthly, we see in verse 4 and 5, let's read that. Isaiah chapter 9, he says, For you shall break the yoke of their burden, and the staff on their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor as the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. So not only did this Christ child bring transformation, he changes things. No more gloom, no more distress, no more anguish. Not only did he bring illumination because light has shined in the darkness. Not only did he bring exaltation because he has increased their gladness, he has increased their joy. But the fourth thing Isaiah says this Christ child is going to bring, and looking back he has brought, is what I would call liberation. Okay? Go back to verse 4 again. 
He says, for you shall break the yoke of their burden. Now, we know throughout the Old Testament, God's people would go into captivity time and time again. Okay? They went into Egyptian captivity. They went into Assyrian captivity. They went into Babylonian captivity. And when Jesus was born, they were under Roman captivity. Okay? It was amazing that when Jesus was on this earth, he was talking to a group of Pharisees in John 8, 31. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine. Then he says, verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now listen, listen to what they say. They answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. That's just amazing to me. That's amazing. How that you can lie to yourselves. Again, they said we've never been in captivity. Any, have, did they study their history? Egyptian, Babylonian, Assyrian. Right then as they were saying that, they were under Roman captivity. And while these people were concerned about political oppression, what Jesus was saying there is, listen, what I have come to do is far better than just release you from your political enemies. He said, I'm come to free you from something far greater than that. And there's two areas that this Christ child brought liberation. And I would say the first one is sin. Think about it. Paul says in Romans 6, 6 and 7, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, listen, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Do you understand when you are saved by the power of God, he frees you from the power of sin? Understand that. A Christian should never say the devil made me do it because the devil can't make you do anything as a child of God. See, you have been freed from the power of sin. Now, we understand we haven't been freed from the presence of sin yet because the presence of sin is all around us. And we won't be free from that until we get to the other side. But as a child of God, if the Son has set you free, guess what? You are free indeed. And the main thing we have been freed from is the power of sin. That's what he would go on to say in verse 12 of Romans chapter 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lust. In other words, you can simply through the power of the Holy Spirit when temptation comes your way you can say no. You can submit yourself to God. You can resist that and overcome that. But not only bring us liberation from sin he also brought us liberation from Satan. 
Okay? Now, I'm going to try to land this plane here for a second. But ever since the Garden of Eden, God had told the devil what he was going to what was going to happen to him in the future. In Genesis 3.15, let's look at this. And this is God speaking of the serpent in the garden of Eden, which was Satan. He said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That was 4,000 years prior to Calvary. God said, Satan, you're going to strike the seed, Jesus, on the heel, but he's going to put a deathly blow on your head. 1 John 3, 8. says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose. To do what? To destroy the works of the devil. Now understand this, Calvary is the place where the victory was won. Understand, is Satan real? Absolutely he's real. Is he a roaring lion? Absolutely. But my father is greater than Satan ever can be. Understand this, Satan is living on limited time with limited power and with limited authority. I believe there's people that gives the devil way too much credit nowadays because if there's something that we don't like, we say the devil must have done that. First of all, how do you know God didn't do that? Remember in Habakkuk when all their misery and Habakkuk says, when you brought home your fruit, I blew it away. Now, us nowadays, we say, look, I can't believe the devil came and stole my fruit. Again, I'm not saying that he's not, act he is active, I promise you that. But as a child of God, we are in our Father's hands, and the devil can't do anything to his children without asking permission from God. Now, that may make you uncomfortable, but it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Because I serve an almighty God. I serve a God that can do anything. And there is coming a time when Jesus Christ will come back to this earth and he will rule and reign forever and Satan will be thrown into the bottomless pit. And I'm here to tell you this morning that this same child that Isaiah prophesied over 700 years before he came and said this child is going to bring transformation. She's coming to play him. He's going to bring illumination. He's going to bring exaltation. He's also going to bring liberation. He can do the same thing for you today. That's when we get to our text, verse 6, 4, 4, 4. The transformation, the illumination, the exaltation, the liberation, all that's coming, why? 
because for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. It's the same thing you can have today on December 17, 2023. You can have transformation in your life. You can have illumination. You can have exaltation. You can still have liberation. Because why? Because the child has been born and the son has been given for us. And I would echo Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9.15 when he says this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The gift of the Christ child. Oh, how awesome he is. How wonderful he is. How mighty he is. If there's ever a time we need to celebrate the Savior and what he has done and what he's still doing, it's now. It's still now. Can we stand this morning?